This is Pixelated Audio, episode 109, and today we're listening to the music of Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We're your hosts. I'm Gene, and with me is Brian. Thanks for joining in, guys. Today, we're going to be listening to the soundtrack of a title that was released on the 64 disc drive called Nippon Pro Golf Tour 64, or Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. It's a really chill soundtrack that we think you guys are going to like. That track that brought us in was the opening theme composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. Yep, and right from the first chords, you can see the sun just coming right up on the horizon. It's the morning time. Light is just shining on the golf course. Yep, and uh, all these people that are out to, to watch a, a golf match or golf tournament, maybe they're just there for the symphony because uh, this was <laughs> a pretty big golf track. It say. is, and actually it's really unlike anything else in the rest of the soundtrack. Most of it's a little bit more down-tempo. This is very... Uh, I don't even know, just <laughs> orchestral, orchestral. The, the timpanis come in and it's like, well, that's all. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's epic and triumphant. I'm ready to win the championship. Yeah. It's a little bit more, uh, this, the whole soundtrack is pretty mellow, but this one, um, kind of goes be above and beyond, I think to, to create this kind of grand, you know, championship golf pro match kind of thing. So I think that uh, it was a cool way to, to start out the game. It's You really see the, the the course in the intro kind of in this nice 3D zooming around different camera angle like, uh, like Mario 64. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's like the it's intro, really nice. the attract mode, whatever. It's, uh, you know, for a split second, it almost sounds like uh, Link from Zelda is going out to go on the golf course. But, right, uh, <laughs> right, right, right. The Links. Yes, of course. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, uh, so let's talk about this game a little bit. Developed by Seta Corporation and published by Media Factory, Japan Pro Golf Tour 64 was released on the short-lived Japanese-only Nintendo 64 DD add-on in May of 2000. And uh, why did we pick this game again? So one of the reasons is because we wanted to do a, a focus on a system that we don't talk about very often. A very, you know, we, we've been interested in digging into systems that don't get as much coverage, ones that have either a few games or kind of forgotten about. So the 64DD came up as a candidate. And that was kind of the idea of this whole show that pixelated audio but you know over time we just wanted to get more more stuff that we were interested in that would kind of float around to a lot of different systems that we would kind of see making a normal appearance on the show so i'm glad that we're 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 taking a break from some of the the normal fm stuff and jumping into uh you know 64 disc drive (laughs) yeah and there's only nine games for it so if it doesn't make an appearance that will have you know, covered what, 11% of the library at a time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, like I was saying, there's a little bit of a discrepancy because when we were doing the research for this episode, the, uh, the developer was listed as media factory or in some cases, Nintendo EAD and the publisher was Sata corporation. Now we started really looking into it and there's, there's really not a lot of information on this game floating around, but 
after kind of looking at the the differences and what was actually happening, like uh, like if you look at the manual and stuff, it leads us to believe that everybody has it kind of flopped. And it would make a whole lot more sense for Seta to do the development and Media Factory to do the publishing because Media Factory was a Japanese publisher primarily focused on anime, manga, film, music, and occasionally some video games. They would put out a few, but their big stuff was doing like anime, like Steins Gate, the, the animated series, Devil May Cry, Senan Kagura, uh, Queen's Blade, and about, I, there's like a hundred other series that they've worked on. Their game stuff is very minimal and it's just published stuff. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to do development work. They did uh, a few games. There was Sakura Taisen for Game Boy in 2000, Monet, The Mystery of Orangery in 2000 as well, Columns on the Game Boy, and uh, Columns again in 1999, the console version, Wizardry 1, 2, and 3, Story of Lilgaman in 1999. So there's not a lot of game stuff that they actually worked on. I feel like I've seen that name before, but I guess not. I, I think that the the bigger player here is really Seta, and they, they contributed to a lot more. Yeah, actually, so Seta is short for Super Entertainment and Total Amusement and was founded in October 1st of 1985 as a games development and publishing company. That's a very Japanese name to me. It is, yeah. Super Entertainment and Total Amusement. Just a long acronym for something. And so it seems most likely because Seta has made games for the Japanese and U.S. markets and occasionally Europe, but they've almost exclusively been known as a publisher and developer of golf and puzzle games. Right. So there you go. <laughs> right. You know, if, if anybody made the game, it's probably them of the two. Right. I when I was looking at the research for Media Factory, I think I found like three games. Period. So right. Um, right. now they have been kind of in the peripheries in the game development world, but you've probably heard of a few of these games. I'm going to go through a couple. Uh, They started out making games on the Famicom or NES in the mid-80s with titles like J.B. Herald Murder Club, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Eight Eyes, and Silva Saga, and uh, maybe famously, the unreleased Bioforce Ape. It was sort of an internet legend for a few years, and then it actually came to be. There was a cartridge, and turns out that the game was pretty much ready to go, and you can... If you know where to look, you can play it. Yeah, it's like a lot of prototypes. You know, they, they're they kind of like scrapped at the last minute because of funding or just interest or Or it was too you. late in the system and they didn't think they were going to sell enough or, or whatever. That was probably what they were most well known for on the NES. Right. So on the Game Boy, and both of these were published and released in the US, they had Q-Billion and Battle Bull. On the Super NES, they had Nosferatu in both Japan and the US, F1 Rock, Race of Champions, 1 and 2, and Silva Saga 2, which was only in Japan, but they actually developed that one uh, instead of just publishing it. Mm -hmm. They also published The Wizard of Oz, Kakoma Knight, Kendo Rage, and Musia, the classic Japanese tale of horror. All of these were published in in English, but they're not really big titles, so... Uh, you may not know too much about them. The only reason why I know Kendo Rage is because my wife did Kendo for so many years. And uh, so this title stuck out to me, but I didn't know about it until, you know, after we started dating. So yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> it wasn't a big one. I may have rented it, but I don't really remember. And uh, in any case, for the N64, they also developed the game Chopper Attack and published the Japanese-only Tetris 64. And their last game was Legend of Golfer on the GameCube in Japan. Right. So... That kind of ends their console history, but what's interesting is Seta actually had a pretty big hand in some arcade stuff. There were two main arcade platforms that they developed for. The first was the SSV Arcade Board, which stands for the Sammy Seta Visco, Uh, and some of the notable games for that were Drift Out 94, 
Dynagear, Stormblade, Eagle Shot Golf, Vasara 1 and 2, and maybe most infamously Survival Arts, which was sort of a Mortal Kombat ripoff, which everybody was doing at the time. Right, right, but that's right, probably right, right. The, the system game that everybody would maybe know from this. Right. Uh, and finally, which ties a little bit more closely into what we just talked about, the, the game, Japan Pro Golf Tour, they also partnered with Nintendo on a short-lived N64-based arcade system called the Alex 64, trying to mimic the success of Namco System 11. Similar to how Tekken was ported to the PlayStation, they were hoping they were going to port some games to the N64. So the two games that are probably most well-known here are Magical Tetris Challenge featuring Mickey, uh, later ported. And that, yeah, that came out in 64. It did, or... yeah. I remember seeing that one a lot on store shelves. There weren't that many N64 games that right. were really it big. Looks like it came out on Game Boy Color as well. I think so, yeah. Huh. That's what I saw. I didn't look too deeply into all the ports. Yeah, and uh, PlayStation 1. And finally, Star Soldier Vanishing Earth, which also released on N64. And that's right. the continuation of the Star Soldier series. Right, 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 right. So, you know, sadly, in 99, they were acquired by Aruz and withdrew from the game business in 2004. In 2008, they were essentially dissolved, and by the middle of 2009, they were totally liquidated. Ooh. So yeah. what happened to all their licenses and stuff? I believe they, they were transferred to Aruz, but I don't know if they were... They're just sitting on them, probably. I haven't really seen anything from them. Yeah, and they probably will be that way until the end of time. You know, all those Shogi games got to make a comeback, so maybe we'll see something from them in the near but, future. But, you know, it looks like 23 years... Uh, of you know their company being together they produced a lot of stuff they did yeah they're, they're kind of one of these names that you'll find in random corners you won't necessarily always expect to see it but you'll be like oh seta i think i remember hearing about them right right you know it's just weird that they they got involved in the arcade business from virtually not being involved in it at all in the kind of the early heydays of you know arcades in the 80s and 90s so just interesting to me that they decided to kind of make that jump and uh, partner with Visco and stuff. So yeah, yeah it, it does sound like they were doing a lot of investment in the nineties. I don't really know. I think they were mostly just strategic moves. They don't think they developed too many games for either of those platforms. Yeah. But, and maybe that's why they ended up getting, you know, acquired because it was just, they had maybe had moved past their, their, their focus and it was no longer kind of a yeah and those aren't cheap thing. decisions you yeah. know investing in arcade boards and stuff like that so yeah you know, if they don't pay off eh, maybe you got to pay some debts and that's kind of where we are today yep all right well let's get into our next track this is the menu selection track so when you start the game you hear that first track we came in with you get this really nice panned kind of camera around a golf course Start the game off and you're listed with all of your options that you can kind of dive into. This is the menu selection composed by Kenny Chiro Shinzawa for Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. <music>
That was Menu Selection composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa for Japan Pro Golf Tour 64 on the 64DD. Pretty chill track. You can always rely on golf games to chill you out. Yeah, I feel like I should just be sitting on the beach. I love it. Pretty nice uh, stereo effects going on. I like the uh, kind of um, nice little toms on either ear. And uh, there's some interesting instrument selection, but otherwise just mellow yeah. yeah it's a it's a pretty straightforward menu track if you want. i mean if, if that is a genre and it, it's kind of elevator just go you, know? you go to like this live concert and you hear say you know that's a really good menu track <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh i don't know there's not too much to say about it to be honest yeah 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 all right so let's talk about the game a little bit japan pro golf tour 64 is a fairly traditional golf sim on the 64 dd it's i i, I don't want to compare everything to Hot Shots Golf, but it's a lot like that. I mean, you got all your standard golf things, I guess. You got, you know, clubs, you can, di- different gul- clubs you can pick, your direction, the chip. Uh, you have to take into consideration wind direction, um, the, uh, you know, height of the hill that you're golfing to. Is that what they call it? Swinging to? Clubbing to? I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know, know the terminology. I've played a lot of golf games. I don't know a lot about the game of golf. Yeah, I've played a lot of golf games myself <laughs> and I always mess up the terminology. Um, so maybe we're the, the, the last people who should be explaining a golf game. But anyways, uh, it's, it's kind of neat though. There's 10 different golf courses and these are all based on actual golf clubs, uh, in Japan. So if you, uh, you can go to, I think there's like Saitama in there, Tokyo course, uh, a few different ones. Um, I, I want to say like Kyoto might have one in there. And uh, just all these really kind of famous golf locations. In fact, I never played a game of golf, so I couldn't yeah. tell you I mean, where they're all it's, at. It's this is the same kind of thing that's really common in racing games. They'll have the real tracks, real golf courses, and same kind of thing. Yeah, and, and unless it's Daytona or uh, is Sega <laughs> Rally, like a real place. No, I don't, uh, I'm yeah, just absolutely. <laughs> um, and so yeah, if unless like it's something that was on my radar, um, I, I'm not sure. But you know, all these places are real places and i think that that's that's pretty cool i'm i really like games that at least try to go for some level of realism uh if they're sports games some kind of certain courts or baseball diamonds or you know soccer field yeah, sure. or whatever you know I, I think that's cool i appreciate it but i personally prefer a little bit more of the arcadey gameplay just where it's a little bit more oh me too you know, I, cut me out too. some of the downtime make it a little bit snappier me too i'm a big math fan but there's way too much math involved in these golf games sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, what's really nice too is there's 20 different pro golfers that you can play as uh including a create a golfer mode so you can kind of create the, the faces are it's kind of like a faux create a golfer because there's only like some set faces you can do however what you can do is customize your golfer to have um a a range of different abilities and you know different swing techniques and stuff like that again a little bit outside of my comfort zone for playing golf uh in video games but some people are very into that and i think this would kind of resonate with them pretty well yeah absolutely okay so there's six different gameplay modes there's a one to two player match play mode where you face off against each other There's a similar mode with four players where you play an 18-hole golf course and the person with the lowest score wins. You know, pretty pretty standard stuff. There's a uh, grand open mode where you compete with the world's best Japan pro golfers. You know, there's 20 golfers that we mentioned. Uh, Mm -hmm. A career mode where you start from the bottom and, you know, get to the top. Work your way up. Yeah, Yeah, you know, pretty standard. Uh, A qualifying tournament where you create your own player uh, with a handicap of zero, meaning so you don't get any bonuses. You pretty much have to play at the top of your game against some of these competitors. 
and the network open mode, where you were actually able to play with other players online for a brief period of time in the year 2000. <laughs> yes. Over the Randnet service. Yes. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's get into some more music. I, I you know, I want to talk more about this golf game, but really, like, play, like, any of the Tiger Woods games or whatever around 2000 and you're pretty much getting the same experience. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just substitute the names out for like, you know, instead of what, like, um, what's a famous golf course here in the U S Pebble uh, Beach. Pebble yeah, Beach. There, there you go. Yeah. yeah that sounds substitute like one. that for like Saitama or something, you know, like, <laughs> and, and that's the game. It's interesting nonetheless. And, uh, it's even more interesting that it came out in such a, a, a flopped system or a flopped add-on. So yeah, and we'll uh, get to that in a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get into some more music. This is course overview composed by Kenny Chiro Shinzawa for Japan pro golf tour 64. That was the course overview from Japan Pro Golf Tour 64 on the 64DD. Uh, pretty jamming little track. Yeah. I, that's, this, is, this is a good one. It is. Yeah, it's one of the longer tracks in the game. It's, it's smooth. Really weird to have the bass bent like that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You really don't hear that very often. And the, from everything we've heard so far, this is quite different, right? Because we had that orchestral track bring us in, and then the menu music, which is, you know, dead on menu music and yeah. then we got this which is just this really just jazzy laid back loungy music i i love this one i thought this was so fun yeah and it, and it goes through a lot of changes and I, you know i i think i really am always drawn to music that goes through a lot of changes because i just love dynamic music and it's got jazz and funk and soul elements in there it's it's really it's a slick track and i think this really is a good testament to kenichiro shinzawa's work too i mean we got this really nice piano kind of key solo in there and there is like kind of like a horn section i guess that's a horn it's really hard to tell some of the samples are yeah. a little bit muddy but I, I i like that you know kind of dynamic between the two and i think it sounds really cool um i could have used some some more 
keyboard in there some like a longer solo because uh we know he can get pretty down to oh yeah you know down to roots with that so this is going to be our chance to talk about kenichiro shinzawa this guy this was for me my favorite part of doing research for this episode it was like the more i dug the more interesting it got it was crazy this is definitely the most interesting thing about the (laughs) about the game (laughs) actually is this composer he's He's done so like as soon as we started following these little tiny breadcrumbs, all of a sudden we're like, oh my god, this guy's done everything. I know he's been everywhere, and uh, you know he was like uh, Haley's Comet. He came around, did games for a short time, and then went off to do everything else. Yeah, and thankfully <laughs> he was listed as the main game composer in the intro as Keishinzawa, so it wasn't very hard no, to find. No, him. there were not that many people with those initials actually, surprisingly. And then I looked at his credits, his CV on his website, and like. Hmm. He had a golf tour game in 1998. I started cross-referencing things. Yeah, it can't be anybody else. It has to be it, this guy. It has to be this guy. <laughs> and then I went through it too to make sure that we were on the same page and we got every, And then we were on. G and I did a, like a Discord phone call and we were just like going through his stuff and we kept getting sidetracked because I know. all this side work we started following into. <laughs> we started listening to some of his live performances and this guy is just wicked on the keyboard. Right. 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 So, Kenichiro was born in Tokyo in 1968. He graduated from high school in 87, and then Tokyo Institute of Technology in 1991 from the Department of Architecture, which... Doesn't make any sense. No, I, I it doesn't say if he studied music... Architecture? Or architecture, because, uh, you know, I graduated from the letter, College of Letters and Sciences, but what does that say about what I actually have as a degree? <laughs> right. So, during college, he was a member of the big band, the Tokyo Institute of Technology Los Guaracheros, which I looked that up. Uh, Guaracheros is a person who writes guarachas, which is a genre of music from Cuba and Puerto Rico. Okay. So, you know... Afro-Cuban, upbeat, lots of different percussion. You you know, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah there, there was definitely a trend of that throughout, like pretty much the '60s to the '80s. So, right. no surprise. <laughs> we, we've even had a couple of musicians on here who have similar credits, and he even received the solo prize at the 20th annual Yamano Big Band Jazz Concert. In '93, he graduated from Tokyo Institute of Technology in their graduate architecture studies major. So he continued with architecture, but was doing music on the side the whole time. I know, and I think this is a a very odd trend. I don't remember who it was that we talked about before, who had also studied architecture, who was a composer, ended up switching majors, and or not even switching at all, graduated with an architecture background or degree, and then just got into game audio. Like I don't remember who it was, but it was like five or six episodes ago, six, maybe more. Yeah, music uh, is a weird place because you have people that are lifelong musicians and then you have other people that were like, oh yeah, come I studied, from all walks. Yeah. I studied mathematics or I studied, oh, it doesn't even matter what, I just went into music, I got kind of fell into it. Yeah. And so uh, Kenichiro is primarily a pianist and he's an extremely accomplished musician that's worked in almost every medium imaginable. To date, he has seven studio albums, dozens of performance credits on other albums and styles ranging from jazz, fusion, Brazilian, world, pop, soundtrack, and even techno. He's performed in a number of concerts, including playing piano alongside the Kanagawa Philharmonic Orchestra in 2013. Yeah. So when you and I were doing, I was saying earlier, we were doing kind of a like a Skype call or a Discord call, and we started getting sidetracked with all the side work that he's done all those live concerts and um you know jazz bar things that you know recordings that he had on youtube yeah we just typed in his name in youtube and like 
dozens and dozens of videos <laughs> came up. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, this guy is just awesome on keys. And he, he had this one we were listening to. Um, the song is Liberty City, and it was originally composed by Jacob Pistorius. And uh, he performed this at um, some bar uh, with the Ginkgo Quintet, which is him. There was bass, uh, violin, or a cello, uh, violinist. Um, and flute, maybe? A clarinet, a I clarinet. think, was in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and him on the key. So let's just take a listen to the, the solo a little bit. Give you an idea. sound like a little bit of a Tito Puente. Oh, yeah. I mean, he studied in big band music and jazz, all that stuff. Yeah. That's, it's cool, man. He's got a lot of really... He, he has this one that you sent me, actually, where he's playing... Is it the... Uh, it's like a like a electric organ? Yeah, it's, like it's, a, it's almost a like a, a punk sort of thing. That he's just like mashing on these keys and this like... You know, it's like if you go into a bar and you see like bass and drums only and you're like you know you're in for some weird kind of music that's basically what this was yeah he was playing uh, this organ this portable organ because he's walking around with it going to town and uh some dude just in the back playing drum a drum set (laughs) it was the weirdest thing ever it sounded pretty good that was really good and this he's he he definitely has skills i mean just incredible musician but he's composed and arranged for all sorts of stuff, TV, music, live theater. Uh, he's had television appearances and written articles for several publications, including Jazz Life and uh, Keyboard Magazine. So here's the PC nerd in me. Uh, he actually wrote some demos for Microsoft and Apple back in their heyday, back in the, sort of like the, the early days. The right. early days, I guess, sure. And he even had a couple of his demo tracks ship along Roland's SC8820 and SC88 Pro. So yeah. you may have heard his music yeah. if we, you were the same age as we were listening to those demo tracks. So we were, we were going through all of the uh, the mini tracks to try to figure out which one was him. And it's it's too hard to tell. Yeah. We, we, we tried asking him too, but we didn't get a response back <laughs> in time. Because I would have had that in the show for sure. Absolutely. Um, but and, yeah, he's, uh, he's not only done all this amazing stuff, but yeah, he's also done some video games too. Yeah, not many. He did one called a Yoshimoto Entertainment Orthopedics for Mac in 95, which sounds thrilling. Uh, <laughs> Yoshimoto, if you're, if you're not familiar, um, it's... Do you know where Manzai came from? Yeah, it's like uh, the, I don't know where it came from, but I'm kind of... I think I know what it is. Well, it came from Yoshimoto. Yoshimoto yeah, yeah. is kind of like a big... Uh, Japanese comedy company. It originated in Osaka. It's still there today. I, I have a picture with me um, standing right in front of it. They, they have the characters outside and stuff. That's pretty um, cool. Uh, they also He also did the music for Saikyo Haboshogi for N64 and 95, Super Real Mahjong for Arcade and Saturn in 95 and 97, Kanazawa Shogi for PS1 in 98, and this game, which is listed on his website as PGA Golf in 98, which just shows how late this game actually came out, because it came out in 2000. Right. So maybe that's what they were going with PGA. Yeah. And they, they yanked it last minute. <laughs> I mean, you know, the polygons were so rudimentary in the, in the um, 
textures were so kind of at the time that they could have just done it like a texture swap and maybe they were going to do PGA at one point or something and they're just, man, we yeah. might as well use some pro golfers here. It's only coming out in Japan, may as well. So this is kind of interesting. He had two other performance credits that you might recognize. He was on the Japanese-only Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater pre-order album called Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, The First Bite, <laughs> where he played Oregon on the track Snake Eater, which is based on the same song you know and love, right. but it has a male vocalist instead of a female vocalist, but he's soloing like crazy on Oregon towards the middle of the track. Snake Eater! And he's also performed on the Professor Layton and the Curious Village and Professor Layton and the Diabolical Box albums, which were performed with a live orchestra as part of the group, the Layton Grand Caravan Orchestra. Right. He even performed keys on Hiroki Kikuda's recent album, Angelic Fortress Trismegistus, in 2016. Yeah, I actually bought the album from his band camp. Well, you're a huge Secret of Mana fan. I am, so. and Hiroki Kikuda is, is a you know personal favorite. But he re-released both of the Angelic Fortress albums with a, like new rearrangements with live performance, and this guy got on it. Shinzawa's was there, totally. <laughs> Just kind of, he's everywhere. He's everywhere, and yeah. he's even now in 2014 a part-time instructor at the Showa University of Music. Yeah, crazy. This is one awesome guy. Man. I know, and he's performing live today. You can look on his website and find show dates for upcoming performances as of this recording right now right and i think he has an album coming out in april unless they're unless he was talking about april last year but looks like he's got a new one coming out so lots a, of stuff a lot very of, very uh, cool guy yeah, yeah I, a lot of ellington <laughs> stuff on there and uh yeah a lot of jazz arrangements that he's mm-hmm. done over the years yeah and and it shows in his music style too because like when he plays not only well, when he plays jazz, obviously, but when he plays different kind of genres, you can hear those those jazz solos. Yeah, those they're, influences they're... are very apparent. So let's get into another track. This is Tournament Exhibition from Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Tournament Exhibition, composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. You know, I'm feel like I'm I feel like I know this guy now. Like I, I I know his like I know his style. I know how like what he's thinking when he's composing. I don't know any of it, but I feel like yeah, I'm, I'm connected to it somehow. Well, after now. we dug into his history, you can see this is a guy who's performed a lot of music because there's. I mean, there's so much great video game music written, but a lot of it you can tell is by somebody who wrote on a computer. Right. Like by themselves in a in their own studio. Yeah. This guy sounds like he's he's taking what he knows from his live performances and applying it. It's a little bit different. Yeah, and especially with that intro, it's almost so empty. You're like, is the rest of the track even gonna be anything? And then it just keeps picking up and building on itself and some really interesting patch choices like the kind of a steel string thing the flutes yeah and then the ending where it, the, the the strings are just kind of bouncing around in your ears it's just really interesting track it's a little out of place but in a way that is it, it's like not in a bad way it's fitting but it, it it's it caught me off guard the first time i heard it i was not expecting that right <laughs> so uh let's talk about the 64 dd a little bit the best words to describe it is an utter failure. But <laughs> this game was even more unique because it was only available for a few weeks through credit card purchasing through Nintendo of Japan's online store. Uh, sales were like 3,000 to 10,000 copies. And that's about it. It's so not a lot of people even played this or got to hear his music until, you know, this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're lucky. We're bringing it straight from the source. Yeah, and so... Uh, on that note, we do want to say a big thanks to Hard for Games for supplying us hardware recordings of what you're hearing today. So uh, it's it's really it's really great. I mean, like the N64, we've kind of said eh, you know about some of the sound sample choices and quality, but there are some really really good stuff, and I think this is a good testament to that. So yeah, there weren't a lot of copies of this game sold. Not a lot of people heard it, and there were even fewer that that probably played online because that was a just a disaster waiting to happen as well. So <laughs> real quick, we haven't mentioned the 64DD on the show before. And again, there's only what, nine games, nine, nine actual games. Some of them are almost more like tech demos or creator games, like the Mario uh, Artist series, which are, have some really interesting music. We might get into that yeah, one day. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe one day. Uh, in fact, we were thinking about going that route and then we heard this and we're like, oh, yeah. Eh, let's keep it. Let's keep it to something relaxing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what is the 64DD? The 64DD is a disc drive add-on. It was released in 1999 for the Nintendo 64. The discs kind of resemble uh, a zip disc. Do you happen to remember those? I do, but I was lucky enough not to be doing anything on them because I know they died pretty easily. They had a, a high failure rate, but compare that to floppies floppies were worse man like i had floppies go bad all oh, the time yeah, all the time but uh zip disks were great they you know pulled i think the first one i had was like 100 megabytes i was like what i could put like everything i'd ever need on here <laughs> you know and, oh, <laughs> those man. were the days those were the days uh and even before the n64 was released the 64 dd had been announced it was already in the pipeline for release so this isn't something that was like this oh we should you know, add this on to the N64 or at the end of its life or anything. No, this was kind of premeditated before 
the N64 was even on shelves, you know? So they had this in mind. They, they knew they wanted to do something with it. So why did Nintendo even need or care about this expandability? And there's a few things here. So with the N64, Nintendo knew that they had a powerful system, but they knew that there were also some really serious limitations and serious expenses that came with the cartridge format, right? So even though cartridges are fast compared to the competition using CD-ROM, you know, like Saturn yeah. and PlayStation, they were also very expensive and they would take months of lead out time for production. You know, you get the, the cart, you burn it to a ROM, you send your, your thing in, it's gotta be mass produced, right? If you have any problems, you have to kill production, you have to start all over. This is, it's a very time consuming process and a few months to lead out a game, you know, it could be up to three or four months. That's like an eternity when you're waiting to kind of rake in profit from something, right? Yeah, and I mean, everybody knows cartridges were pretty expensive to make in comparison to CDs. So right, it was right. already a big gamble just on the N64 alone. Right. Not just to consumers, right? So they also have really low capacity. When the initial development of the 64DD took place, the cartridge standard was four megabytes. Right, so that's on the N64. N64. Four megabytes is not a lot of space, especially if you want to make a richer experience. And that's what they were going for with this system, right? Compare that to the 64 megabytes on the magnetic disk or the disk drive disks. Uh, and that opens a floodgate of different possibilities. Still not as much space as like a CD, but it loads significantly faster. And it wasn't only a significant expansion for game data, but also for user data. So the standard N64 memory card couldn't handle more than like a few kilobytes, right? Mm -hmm. But with a writable medium like the disk drive, users could store their own levels or art creations like in Mario Artist, for example, like you were just mentioning. You can create your own levels and save music or, or whatever you did. Customizability was a huge part of the system. One right. of the games released was F-Zero X with, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was essentially with track creators. Right, exactly. So, And you could save that to a, a writable disc system, right? But they they tried to do this with the, the Famicom disc system, and it was pretty successful in Japan. It never made its way here, but they kind of had the same thing in mind with the 64DD. And I, I think that they were kind of leveraging that that success on the Famicom disk system and thinking that maybe it would have a, its own spot, right? For the, the more, you know, the next generation. Uh, a few other benefits were the real-time clock. And at, at a time when this wasn't a common thing, a real-time clock was really important because you could have persistent game worlds. So say you have Animal Crossing or something, it really could take use of that real-time clock and not rely on something in the cartridge. So that's an interesting thing. There was an Animal Crossing released in Japan for the N64. Right, right, right. But it was initially planned for the 64DD. But yeah. it was a lot of... This is actually something that happened with a lot of games is if they were released, they were pretty much downgraded to a cartridge and released for the N64 proper because there just wasn't enough of an install base to justify it on the DD. That's why there were so few games that, that came out. I think only about... The estimates are about 10,000 64DDs were released or, or sold. Right. Something was, maybe 15,000, really was, not that many. It was very it was very slim. And a few other things that Nintendo was looking at to kind of offload some of the, the disk space was the enhanced audio and font libraries. And these libraries could be accessed by either cart-based games or disk-based games to kind of offload some of that extra memory from the cartridges or the disk drive to that attachment or that add-on itself. Another big thing for the 64DD was the modem uh, attachment. And the cartridge came with the system, but you could buy a bundle that included the RandNet modem and it allowed you to connect online. And that was a 28.8 modem. Um, in 2000, man, that was 
It was really slow. It's very slow. Yeah. Because even the Dreamcast like came out with a 56. I think so. Yeah. 99. Yeah, you're right. It was about the same year. But you know, the idea was that you could share data, download things from the server, and you know, in in this case, actually play online with people. And I'm sure if the system took off, there would have been way more games that would have supported online play. Right. Right. But it was it was kind of a train wreck waiting to happen. (laughs) Right. Like, what went wrong with the DD? So again, it was supposed to come out in 97. That was the original date that it was supposed to release. So um, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, YouTube uh, creator Metal Jesus Rocks. He had this uh, this video where they um, somebody brought him a prototype of the N64 DD, a, a US retail kind of prototype. Mm-hmm. And it had a copyright in 1997. So they had planned to get this thing out in 97, but just due to a lot of weird delays, it didn't make its way ever here, but it came out very, very late in Japan. Um, It was never really clear why Nintendo held back that release. There's some thoughts saying that, you know, they were waiting for the Nintendo to kind of get to this this peak level where it was just like really exploding and then, you know, unleash this this add-on for it that everybody had to get, you know. I just don't think they really anticipated the PlayStation being quite as huge as it was. And and that was one of the big, I think, problems with it is that they just they kind of overshot themselves, right? They, they overthought and kind of over overestimated what they had done because you know, the super Nintendo was so successful and this Teleview was reasonably successful, right? It, it wasn't a major hit, but also technology was, you know, fairly early there. So like it, it's, that's true. Hard yeah. to say early, where it could have gone, right? Early efforts in a network broadcast play, you know, kind of like a Sega channel and stuff like that. We might talk about that in another episode. Right. Right. Uh, another thing was probably lack of interest from developers. It seemed like developers just weren't on board with it. You, not only did you have to know the N64 development tools, but you had to know now this new attachments, development tools kit as well it's just a lot of extra overhead yeah other than this i think it was like sim city 64 and like one other game that wasn't a nintendo first party title all right there were a lot of things wrong with the system and you know over the course of the n64's life um cart memory increased so towards the end there were like i, th- I want to say there was like four or five n64 cart based games that had 64 megabytes of memory in them and that already is equal to what the disk drive had so <laughs> It defeats the, its advantage, basically. It, yeah, you've lost everything there, and and there just there wasn't enough. I would even say it was more doomed than the Virtual Boy. <laughs> it's it's a I know that's a stretch, but I think it kind of just yeah just didn't work out. All right, so yeah, those were all the the failures or shortcomings with the the disc drive, but it did kind of have its place, right? There was a lot of kind of future um, echoes or or ideas that. Nintendo would kind of circle back around to if we look at stuff like um, like experimental stuff like Mario Artist we mentioned that before like it wasn't just Mario Paint redone there were a lot of parts of it and like the avatar creation which could have been like a like a precursor to the me creation right yeah or even just the interface yeah and there's a mini game in Mario Artist Polygon Studio which is just a coffee break which is these five second mini games in succession which a few years later, you'd see in WarioWare as a whole game around it. Right, right. So I, I think there were some good ideas that came out of it from Nintendo's end. Yeah, it didn't really do well at market, but it was an interesting experiment. And 
I and, don't. And sometimes that's the best for companies to experiment with stuff and, and, and have those failures to learn, right? Right. And they were able to bounce back, obviously. I mean, here we are today. Nintendo's still huge. I mean, the Switch is crazy big. Right. And Shigeru Miyamoto, he gave a... Uh, this interview and he said you know one big thing about the real-time clock is that and I think this is on the the Wikipedia page or something he said the real-time clock would allow us to create these worlds that just consistently move even when your system's off and that sounds exactly like what they did with Animal Crossing even though that made uh, a cartridge port it still I mean that became we, we still play these games today right and if it wasn't for that experimentation we wouldn't have had that yeah, absolutely. So why don't we get into a little bit more music? This is Spirit of a Champion, composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. Spirit of a Champion, composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa for Japan Pro Golf Tour 64 on 64DD. I like the drum kit that comes in at the end. There was a little unexpected. I really, really do not like those horn samples. It's just, they sound too... God, yeah, I, I, and this isn't the first game that uses those. I think those are just like the pre-built-in patches there, but ooh, it kind of... Yeah, a little bit. I know what you mean. And, and when that first opening happens with the like cheesy ball game organ sound i'm like uh this is not this is this is not kenichiro shinzawa to me <laughs> like this, <No. laughs> this is not his best work it's it's not a bad track though i think the overall it, design is good it picks up yeah it's it's got a really good and it's yeah it's meant to be triumphant it's meant to be like you, you won you know like this is you cleared the course you beat your com- your competitors you got a lower par yeah <laughs> That's a golf term, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. So sure, sure. let's bring it back around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's move into our next track. This is Becoming a Master, composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's my boy. He's back. I know, that was, right? <laughs> that was Becoming a Master from Kenichiro Shinzawa for Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. Dude, this was an awesome track. I know. Dropped lots of really unexpected things in there, like those uh, lengthy extended chord arpeggios going down and just like swells of things coming in slowly and then bam, like something comes and hits you. Like, whoa, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> right. That bass, it's a little bit flat for a reason. I, I think it's supposed to have this kind of like this kind of dirty sound to almost like like um kind of this live freeform jazz right it's ha- it has to have this kind of nastiness behind it to kind of bring out that front end and then they all kind of start intertwining and just becomes this just fun track to listen to totally yeah. chill totally it's, chill it, it made me think like i can imagine being in the studio or, or you know in, in your office thinking how do i impart the elements of jazz and improvisation into a track that's going to loop like every couple of minutes and so, you know, that's why you have some of these little hits and, and these things that kind of come in and little drum fills and yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and so when it comes back around, it's still like a little bit jarring, but in a, in a, like a, like a spicy way, you know, it surprises you. So it's a really cool track. Yeah. So, uh, a little bit more about the game. We, I, you know, I first played it in. Uh, well, I played it in an emulator because it's the only thing I got. Yeah. Um, and and it looked amazing because of all the the glide plugins and stuff. <laughs> but if you look at like screenshots, and we're we're kind of going through the manual. In fact, that's where we get a lot of our research was from the the actual manual. Somebody put it up on archive.org, and uh, it's really interesting. So you look at this, and it's N64 3D man. It's it's blurry. It's got that kind of low poly texture kind of thing a lot of yeah a lot of fuzz a lot of 2d on top of the 3d you know all the text right but i will say uh one thing it doesn't have is that n64 fog the courses you can see all the way to the end it's it's pretty clear there is um a lot of a lot of texturing around the uh the environment so they spent a lot of time creating these courses to kind of look like the real golf courses and i think that that attention to detail kind of shows so yeah and yeah. the and the sun actually casts real shadows on the golfers they're quite long if it's at certain angles and you know it looks like the shape of the golfer's body yeah which you know those those effects were probably not so groundbreaking it's, no, it's novel now but it's but an attention like, to detail that you don't right. you didn't always see back then so right, that's kind of right. cool otherwise you got your Different stats on the screen. You have uh, on the the right hand side. You have this kind of course over, overview, which reminds me a lot of Neo Turf Masters because yeah. I, that game really utilized that. Even even on the Neo Geo Pocket Color, uh, you had that that um, that kind of side map. And this game uses the same thing. It's got a swing meter, and so when the the golfer is, you kind of get this front view when he's doing his swing, and um, you can you know place where you want to chip the ball and. Uh, Everything is it's kind of easy to see. Again, it's it's very much hot shots. Uh, maybe maybe like Tiger Woods or so, yeah, something like that. It's a little bit different in that when you're actually swinging, you see sort of the arc of the swing behind you. Like there's a sort of uh, three quarter circle that's semi transparent that shows you where you're going to swing, and you actually hold the stick instead of just you know pressing right. Like you the can a button. swing it like a golf club. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and it's and I've heard you know just from reading reviews and playing a little bit of it, it's not like that precise it's it's not meant to be a stressful serious simulation where you have to be pitch perfect to actually you know hit the ball right you know what i would have liked to do is uh i played so i, I played hot shots golf two-player a lot i played with a lot of friends yeah and then um ended up playing online i think for the psp i played I think, the vita one a lot you, yeah i forget yeah, what it's I called the world international it's right, really a good right, game right 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 
I would have really been interested to see how people played this on uh you know over the 28.8 RANnet modem <laughs> you know the the RANnet it was it's really interesting. So in April of 1999, Nintendo ended their partnership with uh, ST Giga, which had done the Super Famicom's proprietary Satellaview online service in 95 all the way to 2000. And then the company partnered with Japanese media company Recruit to develop the 64DD's completely new proprietary online service called the RANnet. And that came from Recruit and Nintendo Network. Again, with the these names. Yeah, the, the consolidation of these uh, sort of half so acronyms. Yeah, It's really bad. So what RANnet did is it allowed gamers to surf the internet, including like this members-only portal. So you could log in, much like how Sega did it with the Dreamcast. You, you had the the network CD or the online CD and you can go and have, you know, Sega's website and you have like this little like game portals. And yeah. Stuff and check like your that. messages, load games, check your data, you know. Right. You know, this is not by any means the only system that experimented with the uh, multimedia era, you know, the 3DO, even, you know, the Dreamcast to an extent, the Sega Genesis. Everybody was trying to figure out what was that right combination of online features and gaming features and trying to put it together in a package and there are a lot of uh there are a lot of failures in that 90s era you know? right i would say that the company that actually got it right was sega with the dreamcast i think that was the the one console that really got online right and and it worked really really well yeah but of course that wasn't their first try so you know yeah they got, time. It, they got it right the third time. <laughs> yeah, 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 the third time. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, another track. This is Final Score, and this is composed again by Kenichiro Shinzawa. <laughs> That was final score from Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. You know, again, not too much to say about this track. It definitely feels like you can breathe a sigh of relief. You know, you're tallying up your score. Hopefully you won. You're not going to throw your clubs out into the green. Snap Happy Gilmore style. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I mean, cool. Yeah, I don't got much to say. It's, no, no. I just, I, we wanted to include it because there's really only about 10 tracks in the game. I think there's exactly 10 tracks in the game, yeah. not including all the little jingles. So I just, I figured we'd give it a chance and play it. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next one. This is Completing the Course. And this is composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa.
completing the course from Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. This is uh, goes back to the jazz, yeah. big time. You know, it starts off. It, it it's kind of rearranging some elements from another track, just uh, like the first thirty it. seconds, and right. it, and then it kind of goes off into its own thing. There's that one chord like right in the beginning where it starts off sounding really happy, and then it just like has a little bit of suspense into it. I thought right. that was a really cool way to set up the rest of the track. Yeah, there's there's a lot of design in it that is interesting, and you can you can totally see the um, the jazz brain that he has. Yeah, a lot um, of notes are played slightly out of time, like or like slightly behind the beat, but very intentionally because it's like most of it is on well, time. You'll hear yeah. it a second time, you know, yeah. and you know that it was an intentional thing. Uh, especially, I don't know what instrument that was that kind of come in has this, those. Um, dropping notes it's like it's pluckiness like, right is that yeah, that one kind of yeah. yeah and again that that one's also played kind of off the 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 standard tempo and i i think that he's just really creative with what instruments he decides to kind of follow that pattern what don't yeah but great track so the people that played this game we did find a few reviews yeah and like, actually there's, there's some big uh, 64 DD communities, surprisingly, and uh, some people actually took the time to review the game. Yeah, uh, so uh, there were two reviews that I found, one from 2000 and one from 2005, so actually uh, close-ish to the release in some ways. Uh, the one from 2005 is uh, from a site called Defunct Games, which covers a lot of sports games and sort of uh, you know, old sim titles and things like that. This one comes from uh, Ferry Gronendike, and he praised it for its import friendliness, the variety of modes, the smooth and intuitive gameplay that's fun for novices and pros alike. He does criticize the flat textures on the crowds and scenery, but says that overall it's a really solid golf game that's pretty easy to play and a lot of fun. And he probably figured that most of the reason for the textures was because it was a game made in 98 and just pushed out a couple of years. That's probably what it was. The second review from Per Schneider from IGN in September of 2000 has this to say about the game. On the audio side, the game is less impressive. Boo. While the classical opening music is nice, <laughs> the rest of the game is accompanied by cheesy Casio synth pop. But the biggest disappointment is the lack of voice commentary. That does kind of suck. That does feel like it should have been included, especially since they did have a few years. But I'll tell you what, like Hot Shots voice commentary... It was so obnoxious that I wish I could have just not had it. So, yeah, all in one, and like you did it, <laughs> like that would be it. I was like, it, it oh my and god! Especially in the English versions, like I don't know, maybe it's a little bit better in the original Japanese. No, because no? I played the Japanese one, and it's horrible. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, birdie and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like all that stuff. So, uh, and he he closed out with this, which I thought was was kind of a little bit mean, but. It's a shame Media Factory got suckered into making this for the 6040D. <laughs> Japan Pro Golf Tour is a well-rounded golf sim for players who can't get themselves to try the arcade-style Mario Golf. Right, because this is around the same time. It was. I think the first Mario Golf was around Ooh, uh, Nintendo just squashed it right away. Yeah. So, yeah. Basically, I think a lot of people were clued into the fact that it probably should have just come out for the 64 and it would have had a wider audience. And, yeah. You know, it's... It's funny, I was looking this up. Because of that thing we mentioned earlier about uh, how limited the release was, this is the most expensive game on the 64DD. How it, much does it go for? 
over $500. Oh my God. Like that's, I was looking at a pricing chart for some of the games and the listing for other 64 DD games is like 50 bucks. Dude, I, <laughs> I, so I used to think that this system was just so rare and like this weird kind of hidden console system or add on. And, uh, when I was in Japan, I saw them on shelves and I, it just wasn't a big deal. And like, I, I remember I, I went to, um, a shop in Nagoya, I want to say like five or six years ago. And then just like last year I was back and it was still there. Like the exact same <laughs> one. Like nobody cares, you know, it's, there's nothing to play on it really. I mean, no, unless you want really. like Doshin the giant or Mario artist, but you could yeah. play Doshin on the GameCube and it's probably better there. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. So, so this next track I wanted to say for pretty close to the end of the show, this is going for par composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. that was going for par composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa for Japan Pro Golf Tour 64 on the 64DD pretty wild little track you know it's not the most melodic of all of the tracks but this is like what you talked about this is a jazz musician this is him playing around you can really hear his personality right and it's almost like he doesn't care he's just like I'm just just gonna put together a track yeah yeah he's just (laughs) doing what he likes to do yeah, it's, uh, you know, that intro reminds me a lot of uh, Transport Tycoon, which immediately, <laughs> yeah, ever since yeah, Brian yeah, put yeah. me onto that soundtrack, I've been like, it is my go-to work music when I need an hour of uninterrupted time. And like one of the first <laughs> tracks on the album, if you're just playing like a YouTube playlist, is, is something that sounds just like that. So clearly there was something going on around that time that all of the jazz musicians were listening to. I got to find it. I got to find that source. Yeah. (laughs) And they were all like getting into game audio too or something. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like a jammy, like a jam sort of feel to it. It's like, it's jazz, but it's very improvisational. I'm just going to guess here. He probably just got together with a few friends and say, Hey, uh, pick up the bass over there. I'm going to grab the, I'm going to grab the keyboard. Like like an easy lick over there. I'm going to jam over on the keyboards. You know what? There's our on par track. Going Print for it, it, ship it. Yeah, it's done. Going for par. That does sound pretty. I, you know, maybe I just don't know enough about golf. But going for par just sounds like going for a C plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that sometimes that's uh, it's really hard, right? You know, you're going True. for a super long course, getting you know four shots uh, with crazy conditions might be pretty complicated. So. Yeah, it reminds me like I I play this game with Ed online. It's been a while since we we played, but uh, 
there's this game mini golf game that we play online and like I, i'm happy if i get par because <laughs> it's so hard man. oh yeah sometimes we're like 10 over par and like it, it defaults because it's like nope you just you aren't going to get yourself out of this hole sorry yeah i you know some of the golf games they lull you into a false sense of security you start playing and it's like oh i got this so i'm like five under par and then the later courses it's like it takes you 10 attempts before you even get anywhere anywhere to close right <laughs> uh so question for you yes what's your favorite golf game of all time Honestly, I really liked World Invitational a lot. That I, I sunk a lot of hours into that game. It's uh, just really well designed. And every golf game I've been playing after that is like, it's, it's basically the same thing. Right, right. I, I would say uh, Hot Shots 2. Hot Shots Golf 2 on the PlayStation. That was a, that was a good one for me. I played that a lot. Uh, same sunk, company yeah i <laughs> i think it's it's the same folks uh, they're it's they're all the same folks. it's like all camelot it's they, pretty much they do them all there's like two companies same that with make mario the, golf it's the the same kind of thing and they, they they figured out the method that works and they just do it every single time the same way and it's like nobody complains because they're all good so, yeah i just hope they don't add microtransactions because those games when they get their hooks in oh, me, i'm like what? i'm just gonna spend it, whatever you said it it's gonna <laughs> happen now <laughs> you want to buy it like the you know, probably buy a golf next club, Mario golf yeah, club. It's like dollar ninety nine. <laughs> oh, anyways, so um, cool soundtrack, right? Kind of a weird find that uh, <laughs> that you came across. I'm glad we we talked about it today. We got, it was bound to happen eventually. We we're going to do something on the 64D. It was either this or Mario Artist, which has a really eclectic soundtrack. So uh, this this was a nice, smooth, chill thing to to kind of listen to together. One of the reasons why we picked this was because we wanted something a little bit more low-key because we've got a lot of cool stuff that's going on right now. Right, right, right. So uh, we do have a few announcements. We mentioned last episode that we had uh, kind of a bigger one, and this is a really big one for us. So we are going to be doing a live panel or a, an opening talk for the Library of Congress. They are doing a the kind of a a celebration of game audio and kind of introductions. The first time they're doing something like this at the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and they invited us to come talk about uh, game audio. And so we're going to be doing the the opening panel. Yeah, it's a series of events that's happening over the weekend of April 4th, 5th, 6th. We're actually going on on April 5th at around 7 o'clock. Right, right. You can actually check the Library of Congress website today, and it'll say there's a pre-concert talk. Uh, I, I don't know if the details are all filled out at this time, but yeah, but we are, we have our plane tickets. We're headed out there. So. We contracts are signed. We're ready to go. So we'll be, we'll be announcing it in broader places on social media and to yeah. our various partners. And the great thing is because it's library of Congress, we are going to be able to distribute it freely. So, uh, the episode that we record, there's going to be less audio in it, um, because of, you know, we're already in a kind of a gray area. It's going to uh, be a little bit different from our usual show format. Maybe a little bit more history focused. Yeah, um, but we'll still have some audio examples. And right, it, I think it'll be a fun audio show. Anyways, you don't have to be there, but we will have some slides and we'll include those in the the show notes when we do release it. But if you are in the DC area on April fifth and you want to come see the show, come join us at the Library of Congress. We'd love to chat with you afterwards. Right, uh, we are going to be doing a uh, interview with. Robert Holmes coming up soon. And that's uh, another episode that is really uh, going to be a lot of fun because Robert Holmes spent a lot of time and did a lot of stuff for Sierra Online. And this company kind of shaped 
the uh, the game industry in the 90s. And it was a, a very prolific developer and uh, they were able to just create a lot of enriching experiences. And I think uh, being able to talk with him is going to be a lot of fun. So Absolutely. looking forward to that too. Yeah, I mean, they were a pillar of the American gaming landscape. I mean, Big really, time. like totally. We have SquareSoft and companies like that in Japan, and here it was Sierra. I mean, they were huge right. for 20 years. Yeah, and it also looks like we are going to be uh, talking to another composer quite soon, Japanese composer, and so uh, we will provide some more details as we get closer to that. We've got a lot coming in the next few months, man. When it rains, it pours. We've had a lot of cool stuff come our way in a very short period of time, and we're really, really excited to announce a little bit more once we have some more details nailed on that last one. Right. So today we covered Japan Pro Golf Tour for the 64DD composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. Fabulous soundtrack and a lot of fun to go through together. Absolutely. And I love those Casio sounds. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I don't mind that it's a little bit on the on the hokier side. The compositions are straight solid. Yeah, well, I don't think Pear is a big fan of uh, you know game audio as much as we are anyway. So maybe he didn't, he didn't really listen. So. Well, maybe he'll come back around when he listens to the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. If you want to know more about the show, you can find us online at pixelatedaudio.com for our show notes. Uh, the tracks that we played today and we're also on twitter at pixelated audio and of course on discord the link to the server is on our website so um join in come chat with us about game audio and composers and all sorts of fun uh music related stuff if you want to leave comments or feedback you can leave a note for us on our website or you can chat with us on discord we can we're very open and very active on that channel so we'd love to hear what you have to say and if you have anything that you're interested in hearing we'll try to put it on the show if we can yeah and we're trying to get more um of the suggestion stuff kind of knocked out this year because there's a lot of really great stuff that you guys have uh, mentioned to us or been interested in hearing kind of our, our teardown of it. And, uh, and I think that's a really good thing for us to kind of tackle because there's a lot of really good soundtracks that we haven't gotten to yet. And so uh, looking forward to that. Um, if you're new to our show, check out some of our past stuff like episode 96. We did a feature on Tetris DS, which was a lot of fun episode 69 which was neo turf masters and don't forget episode 32 which was pokemon snap another great n64 soundtrack i almost forgot about that one <laughs> uh, oh yeah that's right we had some um we had some unreleased tracks in in that episode too so if you uh are itching for some more n64 stuff take a listen and let us know what you think uh we got one more track taking out the show and uh this is kind of a cool one what do we got we got the staff credits closing out the game and closing out the show. Yeah. Composed by Kenichiro Shinzawa. <laughs> Love it. See you guys in a few weeks for the next episode. Take it easy.
Hey, Kenichiro. Nintendo wants their Ocarina of Time soundtrack back. <laughs> First he's golfing on Hyrule Fields. Now he's riding his horse to the next... <laughs> that's his, that's his, golf co- his golf cart. Yeah. His caddy is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the Deku Nut. 